All right, good to see everyone here. Um, I have a question for you. Uh, what captures your emotions? I know that's a weird question, but this week I was talking with my wife and I was talking with a buddy of mine and we were kind of talking about that I don't get captured, like my emotions don't get captured. I get captured by a lot of things, but not my emotions. They don't get pulled into a lot of things. And uh, so it got me thinking, God is talking about that. Then I started thinking about what does capture my emotions? And I, I, I think I might have told you guys this before. If I haven't, I'm going to tell you now. I get captured by going on YouTube and looking at like singers on American Idol and stuff. Does anyone else? Were you laughing with me or at me? So, I, I mean, I, it, it captures me. I can sit there and watch Susan Boyle's like audition over and over and over again. And I will sit there and I will bawl. My wife will come home, my sons will go, gosh, are you watching American Idol again? I'm like, yeah, but it's awesome. And, and there's another thing that captures me too. I also get captured, I'll get emotional, when movie stars or athletes or singers will dress up like normal people and surprise their fans. Do you ever watch that stuff on YouTube? And, and, you know, don't judge me. I'm burying my heart here. And I will go and I'll just look up all those I can find. And I just get to watch the reactions of people's faces when they realize that who they're standing right next to is like their person they admire the most. I'm going to show you a clip of one of my favorite ones. Now, let me give you a little background so you know what you're seeing here. This is Adele. And Adele's awesome anyways. And don't judge me, I'm sharing my heart with you, right? So, but she dresses up and she gets Hollywood makeup on to where she becomes this lady named Jenny. And what she does is she goes to this Adele impersonator contest where the, all these people are impersonating Adele and they're, I don't know what they're trying to win. It probably was nothing. It was probably just for this thing. But she goes in the back with them and she's Jenny and she acts all nervous, almost like she's gonna throw up and has to sit down. It's just hilarious. And then they all get out and they sing all their songs. And when they sing their Adele song, they all sit down and then Adele comes out on. They're thinking there's this nerve wracking Jenny lady, right? And what happens is one of my favorites. So. Roll the film. Jenny, standing by. Jenny will go on my cue. Three, two, one, action. Sorry. Sorry. Sure. Nervous. Some water. Mm -hmm. I'll do it one more time. Okay, one more time. One more. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jenny's happy. She's really nervous, apparently. Yeah, she had to sit down. When the rain is blowing in your face. Adele's have finally twigged. But I will never do it. 
so emotional all day. I've had to watch that like four different times. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I mean, the first lady's reaction is like one of my favorites. She's just like, oh, <gasps> like right away. And then my other one I love was when the lady goes, my dreams come true, you know, like yells out the song. Oh man, it is so amazing to watch their faces. That reality when they realize that the person that they idolize, the person that they have placed so much higher than themselves in our culture is all of, a, all of a sudden right there in front of them. They were hanging out with her back there. That one lady almost looked mad, right? Like, what? What's going on here, you know? And she's right there. And you know what? She's right there with them, singing for them, blessing their day. What a memory. I can only imagine how much they talk about it. Here I am talking about it, right? Like a couple of years later. Can you imagine those people that were there that experienced that? How much they talk about this experience? When someone as high a level of Adele came down to them, spent time with them and blessed them, priceless. Why am I talking about this? Well, we'll get to that. But if you've been here for the last couple weeks, you know we kind of started this series called The Creed. And basically what we're doing is we're looking at what many, many scholars believe is one of the earliest creeds you find in the Bible. Now here's how I define creed, just so this, you can get my definition, that a creed is a set of beliefs meant to unify the followers of Jesus and guide them and guide their perceptions and actions. So this is written to unify this church. It's meant what we're doing to unify us. And just to get an understanding of this church, this is this church that's in the small Roman providence. It's a city called Philippi. And this church had a close relationship with Paul. It sounds like they sent him money. They sent him people that would help him and bless him. And so now Paul is sitting in a prison cell. And while he's sitting in that prison cell, he writes this letter to this church. And he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them to keep moving forward, to keep rejoicing. He's encouraging them to not be anxious about what he's going through, to not be captured by that, but to set their heart on things that are good and pleasing and perfect and to keep moving forward. He's okay and they should keep moving forward. And one of the main ways he does this is by reminding them, reminding them of what they believe. And how that belief should impact their perception of things and what they do. So before we move on, we're going to recite this creed together like we've been doing each week. So everyone stand up with me real quick. And it's in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. We're going to recite this together as like unity on what we believe. And so uh, here's what it says. Verse 6, here we go. Have this mind among you yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated. I hope this creed has been kind of penetrating your heart and your mind has been going through. I know I've been thinking a lot about it over the last few weeks, but you might still be wondering, what does this video I show have to do with this? What does it have to do with this topic? Well, last week, Scott kind of started off looking directly at the creed. And he started in the first verse, which is Philippians 2, 6. It says, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And as we looked at last week, I mean, this is one of the greatest theological mysteries. And I want to tell you right now, it's a mystery that has never and I don't think ever will be fully solved. It is the mystery of this triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we see throughout the scriptures this reality of this unity and one Godhead kind of unpackaged throughout the Bible. And so last week, we made a statement that is a statement that we make all the time is that Jesus is the fullness of divinity in the fullness of humanity. And so that's what the first part of that creed kind of talks about. And we, cons- we kind of considered last week, what does that mean? Because I don't think it was just like this abstract theological thing out there that we wanted to look at, but really wanted to look at what was the point? What was Paul writing to this church that we are now talking about and why was that important? It's not just that God was in his very nature, that Jesus was God in his very nature, but it's about what he did to show us the heart of God. So here was the main point from last week, that Jesus did not cling on to the privilege of being a divine, but gave up that privilege for the benefit of others. I mean, what a powerful and beautiful reminder of the kindness and selflessness of God that we see in and through Christ. I mean, I love it when someone like Adele humbles herself, puts on some makeup, and goes to where us normal people live and where us normal people dwell. And instead of in this huge, massive stadium, right, it's in some little place with a stage and they're sitting there. And she humbles herself and she does it to bless others. Man, why does that capture me so much? You might be wondering, yeah, why does that capture you so much? Well, I think that that story, that Adele story, it's just a little, tiny, just dinky-like example of a much, much bigger story that should capture us. Let's look at how this creed continues in verse 7. Talking about Jesus, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant 
being made in human likeness. I mean, so we, we already talked about last week the idea that he was, right, in fullness of divinity and in the fullness of humanity. But what this creed, what this statement here in verse 7 reminds us is that it was not just a man he became or just a human. He actually took on a new nature. Now, I think that he kept his old nature of divinity, but he took on a new nature. And I want just for you to sit back and think about this and let it sink in that not only did God humble himself and become human, but he took on that which that culture considered the lowest of humanity. He took on the very nature of a servant. Remember that honor-shame pyramid that we've been looking at? I got it right here. This was in that day and age. This was the honor-shame, the most honorable, the most shameful and dishonorable. And Jesus, in this creed, said that he came and he took on the very form of a servant, of a slave, considered the most shameful in that culture, considered one with the least honor. And that's what Paul points out to the Philippian church. That's what we're thinking about and considering. That identity of Jesus as his servant. Well, where does Paul get this from? Why does Paul write about this? Why did he think this was an important thing to put down and to add to the creed? So this is something that will be handed down from generation to generation. Here we are, a couple thousand years later, still talking about it. Well, There's three things I want to look at today. I believe that Jesus lived into the very nature of a servant by what he taught, by what he did, and who he spent time with. So we're going to touch on these three things. So here we have Paul who's writing this to this church. And he's thinking about all this time. And he spent, he never walked with Jesus personally. He wasn't one of his disciples while Jesus was on the earth. He became a believer and a follower later. But he spent many years with disciples, many years with the people learning about Christ. And he's probably thinking about Jesus' own teachings. The teachings that have been handed down that he heard that Jesus taught. Maybe like things like Mark chapter 10 verse 45. Where it says, for even the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I I came to serve, and ultimately I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. So right there, we have this reality, this idea that Jesus taught throughout his earthly time, throughout this time as a human, that he taught that he came to serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to give his life during his life, And at the end of his life, for the betterment of others. So I'm sure Paul was remembering the many, many times Jesus taught this idea that he came to serve people. But it wasn't only something that he taught, he also demonstrated it. And I'm sure Paul, having spent time with Peter and the other disciples, probably knew of this famous story that they probably talk all about, which was Jesus' last night before he was betrayed and, and arrested. And if you remember the story, they're going to celebrate the Passover meal. And so they bring the meal and they get this upper room and they're spending time in this upper room together. And there they are with Jesus, who's been talking about that his time is near and he's going to leave them. And they've been kind of confused. But here they are with their leader, 
with the one they believed that was the Messiah, the son of the living God, the savior of the world, the one that is coming to establish his kingdom. I mean, this is the dude, man. This is the person that is going to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And then he does something that I am sure took them back. He acted like a common, lowly servant. Look what he does. It says that he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And if you know the story, Peter likes like, whoa, when he get to Peter, he's like, you're not washing my feet. I should wash your feet. You're our Lord and Savior. I should be your servant. And Jesus is like, yo, Peter, man, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have nothing to do with me. Then Peter's like, then wash all of me, right? But this idea that Jesus humbled himself and put on display this servant kind of reality, this very nature of a servant, as he washes their feet. Jesus was also called out by the religious and the political leaders often because of who he spent time with. And I have no doubt that through Paul's studies, he heard about who Jesus touched and who he spent time with and who he loved on and cared for and, and took care of and stuff. And, and, and in reality, you know, the, the religious leaders, the political re- leaders pretty much rejected him and called him out all the time because of their high status and because of the people he was associated with. Throughout Jesus' life, you see that. I mean, it's a, a huge list of who Jesus ministered to and cared for. I mean, he went to the people that those of high status on that pyramid would never go to. They were the outcasts. They were the rejects. They were the ones out there. A list of some of them, he reached out to tax collectors. I know we really like tax collectors now, but they didn't then. He reached out to prostitutes and adulterers, criminals. He hung out and talked with women that was against the law there and children and drunkards, sinners, the poor, the diseased and the dying. Basically, what you see in the life of Jesus is that whoever was seen as culturally inferior seemed to be the ones that he would go to and he would minister to and he would care for and he would touch and he would, in a sense, put himself below them. And throughout his life, you would see the common people rejoice. I was reading these different stories this week, and the common people rejoice at what they saw, but then you know that the religious leaders are just sitting there with their arms crossed, looking down on him, going, does he even know who he's hanging out with? Does he know what kind of reputation he's going to have if he keeps hanging out with those kind of people? One of those stories I love is found in Mark chapter 2, and it's when he went to have dinner at Levi's house. Levi was a tax collector, and rumor has it that tax collectors knew how to throw quite a party, right? And so many tax collectors and other sinner-type people would flock to those parties. And it says in some of the other books, uh, other gospels, that people were flocking because Jesus was there. Other tax collectors and sinners and people were coming because they knew Jesus was there. And so he was eating with them, him and his disciples, for there were many who had followed him. 
And then when the teachers of the law, who are the Pharisees, saw him in there with those people, he asked that they asked the disciples, man, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And doesn't he know what he's doing? Doesn't he know that those are the outcasts? Those are the lowly. Those aren't the ones that we have high status. I mean, this is what, but hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I think that little story kind of sums up a lot of what Jesus did over and over again. These were like conversations that he had. Over and over again, he got accused of hanging out with people that others wouldn't hang out with. And in that, Jesus was showing his mission, what he was here to do, what the point of his coming, though in the very nature God and humbling himself and becoming human to the point of taking on the very nature of a servant. You see, Jesus became human, took on the very nature of a servant to show mankind that nobody is outside of the reach of God's love. Nobody. He went to those that that culture would have thought was out of the reach. He went to those that were the lowest. He flipped the honor-shame system upside down. And he was showing the way of the kingdom the way of God, the heart of God, as he put himself at the lowest place so that he could bless everyone. And next week we'll see how low he actually went when he goes to the cross. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the life of Christ. That is what Paul seems to see as important to put in that creed for that early church that's going through so much persecution and dealing with their leader in prison and all this stuff. And remember this, that Jesus was God in the flesh, took on the nature of a servant and served. Have this mind in you that was in him. So what's this mean for us today? I mean, is it relevant for us today, this picture of Jesus that we see? Is there something in it, here we are 2,000 years later, that can have an impact on us? Look what he says in Hebrews chapter 13, talking to these Jewish believers. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. And I love this verse. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by the ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. So he's talking to these people that ceremonies and the ceremonial foods and jumping through the religious hoops, that's what they did over and over again. Now they're trying to learn this new way of Christ, this reality of saying Jesus saying yesterday, what Jesus brought is what God's heart has been from the beginning. He's not, has not changed and it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Oh, how I love that. We could say that over and over again, to be strengthened by this unmerited favor, this love of God that extends out to all people through Christ. And he became a human, took on the very nature of a servant in order to go underneath all so that he can show us that God's hand can reach all. So how can that impact us? Well, Jesus took on the very nature of a servant to show that you are not 
beyond the reach of God's love. You are not beyond the reach of God's love. I can only imagine in a room this size that some of you feel you are. You feel you're beyond that. But if you can look at what Jesus showed, what he put on display, what he wanted us to see about God and his heart as he became the very nature of a servant, put himself under all to show that God's hand can reach all. I want to encourage you to accept that, to believe it, to turn to God and trust that through Jesus Christ becoming a man, taking on the very nature of a servant by the example of his death, I mean his life, his death and his ultimate victorious resurrection, he showed us how amazing God's grace is and how far reaching God's love is for all through Christ. And that's for you as well. And that can have a profound impact in our souls today. In Hebrews chapter four, it's one of my least favorite and favorite verses where it talks about that we stand naked and bare before him of whom we must give an account, that the word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. I mean, it's this verse that kind of points out that God sees all, that he knows all, that's nowhere we can hide for him knowing what we do, why we do it, why we didn't do it, what we're thinking about doing tomorrow and why we didn't do what we wish we would have done and maybe we're still gonna do it even though we know it's not right. I mean, the attitudes and our thoughts and everything is we lay naked and bare before him. It, we're just exposed. That's just the reality. But then the verse goes on to say, but, but we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who he came from the heavens to the earth. He took on the very form, though he's in the very nature of God, he took on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself, became human. It, it says in Hebrews 4 that he was tempted in every way but without sin so that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. If you still think that God is looking down on you because of your weaknesses, you're not looking through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus, it says, because of him that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands if anyone does. And Jesus came and became man to walk alongside us, to let us know that God is there. Yeah, we have a father that oversees us, but we have the son that walks alongside us that can sympathize and understand the things that we're going through. And then comes the verse I love. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then, because of this, because of the understanding that we're naked and bare, but a high priest came and he, he took on the very nature of a servant and he was tempted and he could understand. He walks alongside us, sympathizes with us. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Come to the throne of grace, unmerited favor with confidence because you're not gonna get what you think you deserve, but you're gonna find grace instead. Isn't that beautiful? What a powerful picture of what Jesus did in and through his life. And while Jesus found himself on earth, while he had humbled himself to that very point of a servant, he said almost the same kind of thing. In Matthew chapter 11, I love this, where Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I'm sure there's some of you out there that you just feel this weight of the reality of this burden and guilt and shame in your life. Maybe you're experiencing consequences because of your decisions or you're facing choices or the choices of others that have left you feeling broken, lost, and beyond the reach of God. I would say in that state, Jesus says, come. Come and find rest. Come and find peace. I'm not looking down at you. I'm walking alongside you. I want you to experience peace and rest for your soul. We'll have pastors that are in the back corner in our prayer. Man, if you feel that distance, go back there and just say, I feel distant, pray for me. Watch how the Holy Spirit might just do a work in your heart to give you this understanding of coming to God, finding forgiveness, finding hope, finding rest for your very soul right here, right now. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to show us how much he actually does love us. And for you, for you that have experienced this, for you that know this love of God, that you've experienced that forgiveness and that hope and that life, I want to remind you of what Paul said before he got to the creed, what he wanted us to be thinking about. Back in Romans chapter 2, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, man, if you've experienced any, by being united with Christ, by being united together, by comforted from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit and any tenderness and compassion, he says, then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This is not some legalistic hoop to jump through. It's not some like obey this or else. Paul is inviting them to experience a life of Christ in and through their lives. And it's inviting us to do the same thing, to experience the life of Christ and to bring that life to other people as we have the same mind that that was in Christ Jesus, that same attitude. That's the power of our belief system guiding our actions, our life, our vision, our mission of our own lives as one that has experienced his hope in Christ. I have one last point because I wanted to bring Adele back into it. We now have the opportunity to be the Adele in others' lives. You see, we've experienced that love of God, that community and fellowship with him that comfort and that strength in him. All that stuff that Paul's talking, we've experienced that. So now we have the opportunity to be that Adele as we take on the very nature of a servant and live for the betterment of others and the glory of God, just like Jesus did. That's the opportunity we now have. I want that to be the vision that you get for your life, that your lives do matter, that they can count to the person sitting next to you, to the people in your home, in your neighborhood, at your work, in your schools, on your teams, around the whole city and around the whole country and around the whole world. Our lives do matter. I love what he says in Galatians 5.13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We are thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. That means that together we could live for the betterment of others, showing the love of God, the glory of God here, now, today, and forevermore. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus.
Look at 1 John 4. I, I love this verse. Dear friends, verse 11, I think. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but... If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And we know that we live in him and, in, and he in us because he has given us his spirit. I just want to paint you a picture of this going on here, right? We kind of looked at Jesus. Jesus, who is in the very nature God, took on a new nature as a servant and as a human. We who are born in the very nature of human through Christ take on his spirit the power of Jesus in our lives. In a sense, Peter says that we actually become partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that crazy? That no one has ever seen God, but when we love, people will see God. His love will be made complete in us and it will be seen through us. This is the vision. Have this mind in you that was in Christ. That though he is in the very nature of God, did not consider equality of God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, took on the very nature of a human being found, the very nature of a servant being found in human likeness. May that mind be in us as well. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this creed, this just reminder of what we believe about Jesus this incredible mystery that Jesus in the very nature was God, but he humbled himself. He didn't hold on to that privilege, but he became human, took on the very nature of a servant. Great is that mystery, but God, your word also says that great is the mystery that Christ is in us through the hope of glory. How mysterious is that as well? May we just see the reality of our everyday lives being of value because of this picture of Christ that we've been looking at. And for anyone here that feels far from God, feels out of his reach, may they just see Jesus and, and realize that, Lord, you took on the form of a servant to go to the lowest so that we might understand that your love can reach all. And may they find it reaches to them as well today. May they just trust in that, believe in that, find hope and peace in and through that. So may your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and through our lives as being done in heaven for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.